Hello, I'm Cora Hiltz, the co-founder of Rev en Vert, and this is the Rev Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to be sharing with you guys part two of my conversations with the lovely Lubmirski duo. Giada Lubmirski is wife to Alexei, a mother of two sons, an environmental advocate, plastic combatant, and lover of sustainable and vintage fashion, so we have a lot to talk about. Her Instagram platform, EcoShaker, is an amazing resource for anyone looking to get into sustainable living in an approachable way, and I'm always on it looking to get inspired. The way she believes in the power of the individual and small communities turning into major movements is very similar to our ethos at Revon Vert, and our discussion today focuses around everyday commitments and changes we can all learn from and hopefully make ourselves. I'm very happy to share with you all her thoughts on all things from conscious parenting to how to live ethically within a major city, and possibly most important of all, how to remain optimistic and engaged even when things get difficult. Just start with one thing. What is that one thing? Is it just bringing your coffee mug to work every day instead of buying one at the coffee shop? Hi, Giada. I'm so thrilled to have you today in London and to have the opportunity to talk to you about plastic and, and wider environmental issues. And I've been watching everything you've been doing around this subject for a while, and I just genuinely think you've got an amazing ability to inspire action towards a better future. So that being said, can you please give us a bit of background on your journey into becoming an environmental activist and, and where this all stemmed from? And have you always cared about nature and sustainability, or is this something that's evolved in your life. So I really had that aha moment in 2004 when my friend um, invited me to a play at her theater, the National Black Theater in Harlem in New York. And these two beautiful women poets um, gave an incredible performance. And it was a play um, around the environmental devastation that's going on around the world. And at that time, I had no idea that the what the Great Pacific Garbage Patch was. And I began researching on my own and finding more information and more information. YouTube was my best friend at the time as far as finding footage that really opened my eyes to what this problem really was becoming or was at the time. I just never looked back. I decided that I was just going to start with what I could. I started viewing what I was buying every day differently. Um, and little by little, it was, it's been a long journey. I, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm not zero waste 100% because I feel like no matter how hard you try, like plastics and um, items end up in your life somehow. But I've been able to master it in a way that I'm very proud of myself and my family um, for going on this journey and understanding how to deal with, um, you know, everyday consumerism. So um, I feel like we're in a very good place. Um, my dream would be to be 100% zero waste as a family, mm-hmm. um, because as an individual, I'm very close to being zero waste. Um, I think also when you order things uh, online, I'm trying not to. Even sustainable companies will package things with plastics, um, uh-huh. sadly. So. You know, those are the those are the new challenges that I'm trying to edit out of my life. But 
again, it's a journey. I'm not trying to beat myself up. Uh, I tell my friends and family members who want to uh, shift or are inspired by my actions and my family's actions that it just starts one thing at a time. It gets very overwhelming and can get depressing. But if you just start with one thing, which is the message that I got from watching one of my favorite documentaries, uh, Racing Extinction, almost gives you sort of like a sigh of relief. Just start with one thing. What is that one thing? Is it just bringing your coffee mug to work every day instead of buying one at the coffee shop? You said that about online shopping as an online retailer and being so sustainably minded. I mean, I had to make a, a quite strong proclamation last year that you know we would not be accepting anything that came in single-use plastic anymore because we work with seriously sustainable brands and I was still getting things wrapped in single-use plastic and I was like hang on so frustrating no and we're we've just recently moved studio and I was appalled and we always try to like save any plastic that we've gotten so we could reuse it in some purpose and I mean my husband was just like I mean we have massive amounts of plastic that you have been you know beavering away for like three years because I feel so guilty about it and you know hardly anything gets recycled in this country Um, and I I heard the UK is changing that though soon which I was happy about I always talk about TerraCycle because we have a TerraCycle box at our home for those very moments where you get unexpected single-use plastics coming into your home. And TerraCycle is an amazing, amazing company. You can put anything in the box. There's different programs also, free programs that you can choose. But they partner with all the biggest plastic producers in the world. And what they do is that they collect all the non-recyclable plastics. They introduce that technology and they use those non-recyclable plastic and keep them in a a closed loop. So, you know, companies like Colgate and others, I mean, really Nestle, um, big, big corporations are signed up with TerraCycle now. And is it only in the U.S. or can we do it here in the U.K.? No, no, no. It's a global, it's gone global. And this is part of my work. I try to educate my community and schools uh, about solution driven, uh, you know, initiatives yeah. and and companies like TerraCycle. I mean, I'm going and ordering a TerraCycle box yes, as soon as yes, I get back absolutely. to the office. If you would give us some facts around plastic absolutely. that made you feel this was such an important issue to personally, you know, commit to helping tackle. Yes, absolutely. I mean, when you realize that 91% of plastic globally does not get recycled is just a devastating fact, you know. Um, so that alone completely it just has made our family anti-plastic altogether. I mean, my little six-year-old and nine-year-old, you know, as soon as they go to the restaurant, they're like, no plastic, please, no, not any type of plastic, no straw, no nothing. Because, you know, restaurants assume also that kids need plastic cups, yeah. um, you know, in order to drink their water. But um, basically, you know, in in the UK, actually, I did a little research because in the US, 500 million straws are thrown out every day in the U.S. In the U.K. is 4.4 billion straws a year. Um, so just that's just that one one item that's non-recyclable. And then plastic bottles, uh, you know, is a huge, huge issue as well. 500 billion plastic bottles are used around the globe annually. So when you think about that kind of consumption on a global scale, you have to tell yourself, like, how 
how can I contribute to this? I mean, really, do we want our children to see the ocean that we got to swim in? Do we want beaches to be full of plastic? I mean, th- we have to be responsible for what we purchase every day and realize that, you know, we really do <laughs> have a individual uh, daily responsibility for our actions and not just because of making nature look beautiful around us or our environment look look great around us but also the fact that you know marine life gets affected wildlife gets affected um, the waterways get affected because most of it goes in the landfill and what doesn't end up in the landfill goes into the ocean so what a lot of people don't realize is plastic is hooked on oil. I mean, new statistics show that the plastic production has surpassed um, the oil industry as far as, yeah, fuel for cars. So if you can think of the plastic production being hooked on oil that badly, it it should just really make you wake up and and think, well, what, what are my solutions? Nowadays, I mean, we have so many options. We're so lucky. Something that I, I think that you can speak to, because I, I've spoken to a few people about this, and I think when you're living in places like London or New York, I mean, I, I, personally, I personally think you have a responsibility to not drink out of plastic water bottles, but for developing it's, countries, it's developing exactly. Countries. You know, like I have a girlfriend that's living in Africa right now, and she's in Angola, and she said, you know, you can't actually drink Absolutely. the water. Or I had a friend that just went to India, and she's like, you can't drink the water here. You have to import everything in plastic water bottles. So, you know, what is what is the solution, solution. there? Well, I, I work with numerous organizations, and for people like your friend, and, you know, that's where I see my future work, really, like... Uh, going um, is just partnering with NGOs on the ground. But Waves for Water is uh, an incredible organization. But basically, they make simple filters that they can give to communities around the world. Supporting organizations that do this kind of work, that go into communities that don't have access to clean water, I think is the future answer uh, to this global issue. I always try to encourage anyone to challenge themselves, like what is available, what is there? Can you write a letter to this organization? Or there's numerous organizations uh, and companies uh, that offer filtration systems and uh, options to people. That's that's a huge global challenge that I think as international um, developing countries, they have to come together to help those countries that need need the, the support. Yeah. And it seems like, and your answer to so much, and I, I agree completely, is this idea of community building because it starts with one and then maybe it becomes two, three, four, mm-hmm. five hundred, six hundred. And, you know, I think then it also puts pressure on people to respond to these big, big problems. You know, if, if a few people are voicing concerns, hopefully that eventually has a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to get into this idea of community as a solution to so many of the issues mm-hmm. we're facing today. Can you tell us a bit about the project you worked on in Italy this summer, how this is expanding into a wider initiative? Because I l- think everyone loves a success story. And when you told me this, I felt really optimistic. Yes, I mean, that's that's basically, you know, I've seen it happen within my own experience, so I know anybody can do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
it really was uh, mind-blowing to go to Sardinia. I grew up in Rome, um, in Italy, and it's, you know, surrounded by different bodies of water. And to see them behind as far as ocean education was definitely shocking to me. We, you know, we go to Italy every summer and every summer I kept seeing more and more plastic everywhere we went. Um, and, you know, in the most pristine protected areas, you know, in the world. So I can't even imagine plastic pollution and environmental devastation goes hand in hand with social justice because uh, the communities being affected the most are coastal and island communities. So, you know, this is this is a social issue as well. Yeah. Um, it's not just an environmental issue. All I did was ask the Airbnb owner, I asked her if she knew anybody that I could speak to um, in La Magdalena, which was the area where we were at. And she happened to work for the National Park. And she was like, if you want, I can set up a a meeting with the president right away and I said oh wow that's that's amazing let's do it and she and the reason the, the conversation sparked was because she kept seeing me and my children bring all this beach trash back to her apartment and I kept telling her don't worry like we're gonna you know I'm gonna take care of it we're you know I'm gonna dispose of it correctly I'm not leaving it here behind and then we started talking and and she was like no it's a really really bad issue that's getting worse every year and and the National Park hasn't really been able to figure out how to tackle this problem because, as you know, Italy is very bureaucratic and everything is very hard to accomplish. So they welcomed me as an international entity just because it's much easier as far as the politics there to get through these kind of challenges. And they kind of, you know gave me and they they welcomed me with open arms and I decided that I was going to design a program for them um, which was very similar to what I do in New York organize three beach cleanups and three film screenings uh, schedule different workshop in be- different workshops in between so it was like a whole week of events and um, little by little you know we grew as far as who would come and join forces five national parks uh, came on board, uh, n- numerous ocean organizations came on board and, uh, you know, uh, gave us supplies for the beach cleanups like Parley for the Ocean yeah. and MedSea Foundation and the Jingo Doll Institute did the workshops. They did underwater underwater workshops. And I was in charge, basically put it all together and um, made made it open to volunteers. Together we were a force and it just started with one question. So if you could just believe in that one question and again, get outside your comfort zone and find out who are the people in charge or who are the ones responsible um, for, you know, behind national parks. I think that's a, that's a big one for me that I realized this summer. If you can get a national park behind you, you have already an amazing start yeah. because people will take you seriously. When my husband and I went to Greece on our honeymoon, it was like all we wanted to do was kind of have this nice time. It had been a really busy year, and then we'd gotten married on top of it. And we went to Greece, and it was just plastic being shoved at us in every way. I mean, plastic straws, plastic bottles, plastic cups. You just get tired of saying it over and over and over again. And how do you say when you're a tourist and you're just kind of wanting to go somewhere and have a nice time, is it your responsibility to also 
speak up and and maybe take an hour out of your trip and dig a bit deeper? Or, or how would you encourage people to get involved when they're going to these places and they're seeing these pristine beaches getting wrecked or these waters filling with plastic? I will say the strongest visual in my experience is when my little kids are cleaning the beach around everybody and they'll go, are you done with that uh, straw or are you done with that? Or, you know, they'll pick up a cigarette butt right next to the person. I think people immediately just get shocked and you know they just want to enjoy their vacation they don't want to feel bad but how can you but say then a six-year-old is next yeah. to them picking up their, that, would, that you, would do it you yeah can't, you can't say anything to a child that's cleaning the, the environment around you so I think that really hits the heart of course you know if, if you're an adult and you do it it's still positive but I think uh, when you see Again, like families or community coming together, I think that visual is so inspiring and it makes you think while you're sitting there like, wow, this is a this is a real problem. Look, look at all these people doing it. I do feel like people can feel so overwhelmed and, you know, a sense of hopelessness a bit in Mm -hmm. this day and age, which can lead to, you know, sort of an inertia that we need to Mm -hmm. talk about of how we overcome these feelings and lift spirits and empower Mm -hmm. individuals to want to make real change. And Mm -hmm. how have you sort of found that combating Mm -hmm. of any times when you've personally felt a little bit overwhelmed or like the fight was just too big? Well, you know, it's funny because whenever I feel depressed, because I I do I do get down I'm not gonna lie I mean it's it's an it's human nature you get so overwhelmed by the research and like you know I was at World Oceans Day at the Explorers Club in New York City talking to all these U- scientists from the UN and it was all doom and gloom and you know I go get back home and I'm just what can I this is too big for me this is too big for for my family but I don't want to discourage my children so they're my hope. They're my. They're what I strive for. You know, after I gave birth to both of them, I was like, "This is it. I'm fighting for them for the rest of my life. Um, this is what I'm doing." I called my friend uh, Janine Martel, who's an who's an incredible environmental artist, and started this movement in South Africa called Imagine There's No Plastic with a community there, um, where she recreated the John Lennon Imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, a mosaic from yeah. Central Park, but she added, imagine there's no plastic. And as a community, um, they did all these beach cleanups and collected f- 4,000 straws. And then she created this beautiful work of art, which actually uh, ended up in Italy this summer. But all that to say is I called her and, you know, it just you have to call the person that that gets you and will join forces with you. So immediately we were like, okay, let's do something. And we started, um, her and I just decided to literally go out in New York City and start cleaning the streets. It's called I Clean New York. And we, little by little, you know, we had volunteers show up. We would announce it on Instagram last minute because we were still kind of trying to develop how we would do this. And we've developed the most incredible relationships with strangers who now are like our permanent volunteers every time we go out and do this. The way for me and for a lot of people 
is to make it creative. You have to be creative with these issues. And so how do you do it? You team up with artists. You invite your most creative friends to come up and drum up ideas together on how to make this successful in a creative way. So for me, I think art, film, you know, even fashion and uh, creativity is what fuels you know, the will to, okay, let's get this done. New York City's never been as trashy <laughs> as it's it has been in the last two years, and that's because the mayor has lifted laws that fines people that litter. So now people just are throwing everything on the ground, and it's the worst it's ever been. And um, there's this amazing app I actually found through my research uh, with iClean New York called Literati. Okay. And if, if you see this guy's TED Talk on how he started this app and his it is unbelievable because you're actually collecting data and when you collect data and you see what you can change as a community it's Mm. mind-blowing when you actually start seeing the numbers and so that's kind of we got inspired by that too and we didn't even know that was already out there the thing that a lot of people don't realize i think that film plastics like potato chip bags candy wrappers that stuff is non-recyclable and they're called film plastics and that unfortunately Fortunately, is in our lives, you know, that's like one of the top 10 items found in the ocean yeah. is film plastics. So I think when kids connect the dots and they're very quick to and absorbing that and it's tangible to them yeah. and they get to be the champions of yeah. that initiative. So it feels good. And I think when you see their face and how you know, the before and after effect of their school neighborhood looking pristine after they've they've done the work. It's just, it's, it's I mean, it, it melts your heart. Yeah. You know? Film plastics are probably so entrenched in parenthood now because it's a quick mm-hmm. snack or, yes. you know, or, or an easy thing to give them, blah, blah, blah. You know, how have you navigated raising children oh, in yes. a way that is not wasteful? So I think that's one of the most challenging thing as a parent. And listen, I get all the parents out there that are on the go and they just just don't have the time to think about it. Um, So for those parents, I definitely recommend looking into TerraCycle as an option. But for those parents that have a little bit more time, and in my case, I don't have time, but I use the weekends as my go-to time with my kids, and I involve them into making snacks for the week. So dehydrating um, is a huge one in our family. My kids love dehydrating fruits. Um, My youngest is obsessed with the dehydrator. It's like his fun job, and I love it because now all I do is I cut everything and he does the rest. But, um, you know, those are such easy and super super healthy snacks because a dehydrator will keep all the nutrition into the food. That's definitely something I'm teaching myself more and more now is like, how can I be more creative as a parent as far as snacks? And it's all about prepping in advance. And I think using your weekends, it's such a great way to also connect with your children. 
So investing in a dehydrator, I mean, I'm going to run home and get one <laughs> right it's away. It's really fun for the kids. Yeah, well, uh, fun for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah. great. Yeah. It's so, fun for you, too. Yeah. And actually, it, you could get very creative with dehydrating yeah. foods. And I think it's really amazing. Like, you and I talked about this idea of, like, with children, just creating connections that are maybe mm. a little bit, you know, it's so easy to give a kid an iPad or mm. find new ways that technology has allowed us to sort of maybe not shirk our responsibilities as parents by any means but to sort of just you know it's an easy it's an easy option always always yep and also it's sort of it's sort of maybe less terrifying than also exposing your kids to the realities of what they stand to inherit inherit from us because the world can't always seem like it's this perfect place as Mm. they get older so how are you kind of talking to them educating them allowing them to see or not see what's happening and then, you know, holding their hands through it. Yes. We started to see how television and the iPad was affecting him and we decided no more screens and we we said we have to stick by it. And when our uh, other child, you know, when, when our youngest was born, we just kept, you know, we kept with it and we do watch movies as a family in the weekend which gives a different sense of appreciation, like movie time with the family, which it makes it so special. But we've also noticed they don't ask, they don't ask us for screens. They don't, they become so entertained with each other. We've actually been shocked by the results because we didn't realize it was going to, because their friends are on screens. Some of their yeah. friends are always on the iPad, you know, and and we thought, oh gosh, you know, it's going to, it's going to shift. It's going to change just socially. It's just going to happen. I heard from one of the parents at one of my kids' play dates, he went over his friend's house and he wanted to play video games and do, you know, screen stuff. And my son was like, no, let's play, let's play, um, you know, imagine. Imagination. Let's play. They have this whole world of invent imagination. They've invented characters, and I think that when you allow your children to explore their imagination, and you see the result of that, it's you that definitely want to make sure that you don't spoil it. I've allowed him to see some things, and he. I've been surprised at how he's been able to be mature enough to absorb that information and then have a conversation about it. It opens up interesting conversations and we try to simplify them as much as we can for our kids. And you you know, you'll be surprised. Children are so apt to understand and they absorb so much and they'll just keep asking questions and there's always room for more questions and answers. Yeah. And we also are very honest with them. Oh, guess what? Mommy doesn't know the answer to that. So but you know what? Thank you, because I'm going to research it. And and then later he'll ask me, did you research it? So I think it, it just this really sweet. It, it creates like real bonding between us. Yeah. And and they really care. Yeah. They really care. And I think we owe it to them as parents, because I see I work I've worked with schools and I see high schoolers that have no idea what's going on. And you know what? It sucks for them. They're going to be going out into the world soon. And they're going to say, well, why didn't anyone tell me that there's a climate crisis going on? And, you know, thank goodness for Greta, because she's been able to spread that awareness into very, very young people that weren't even thinking about uh, climate change or what's going on with, uh, with the environment. 
you always have to give them a solution, you know, and I think action, if parents can get more active with what they care about and involve their children, that's the best way to show your child that there's a solution always. Yeah. So speaking of solutions, you've started something that I think is brilliant, which is the hashtag start with one thing, Yeah. you know, and you touched upon it earlier, but I think it's just, it's such a clever way to get people to feel like sustainable living is approachable. It mm-hmm. is achievable. So can you kind of tell us a bit about what inspired this specifically and then how you would recommend we all engage with it and and encourage others Mm -hmm. to engage with it? We can all start with one thing, you know, and I think when your children hear that as well, anybody, really, any individual, it just feels like a little bit less overwhelming. You know what? I can do one thing. And so um, for me, uh, as an individual, I started this a long time ago, but fashion is a is is a very wasteful industry. Um, and I've, I am big on not buying new. And if you have to buy something new, then research sustainable designers, ethical designers that are transparent. Um, And so I'm able to challenge myself with that one thing. And I've been very good at it. I'm very proud of myself as far as being able to um, challenge myself with only wearing used or vintage. And if I have to buy something new, then like, you know, I find sneakers are hard, like like, you know, shoes can be a little bit hard or uh, leggings and that kind of thing where you kind of have to buy something new when it comes to that. And, um, you know, you just, again, research. Like, I love there's this one place called uh, Sporty LA in, in Los Angeles that carries dead stock sneakers. So I always buy my sneakers there. There is so much out there. I mean, that's the thing is you can literally start with whatever you think you're capable of doing. And it could be the simplest thing like a coffee cup, yeah, you know, and um, I think when you, you know, if you're a big tea or coffee drinker and you're, you're going to the store like multiple times a day, that's an easy right there. That could be a big impact on your daily routine yeah. that you can shift. Yeah. And then once you're done with that one thing, then you can move on to the next thing. Yeah. I was always ordering delivery or I was always, uh, you know, it's like, I think that's token New York to me was a big one and I was able to do it. And and then it, it forced me to research, like, who, who's actually doing sustainable delivery? And there are some places. And if I have to, you know, if I'm sick or, you know, I'm working all day and I have to pick up the kids, I have no time to cook and they're starving, like, I'll call them, you yeah. know, and I know I have a go-to option if I can't cook. I love cooking. And yeah. so it kind of, I kind of went back to figuring out, again, another challenge. How, do, how can you cook? quick yummy meals you know yeah. and so that that was that was a definitely another little journey but i think the sustainable lifestyle journey has taught me how to get back to my roots and and i love it and i mm. and, and and whenever there's a challenge it's like i take it on with a smile and i'm like okay let's see if i could get this done yeah. and it, it's so funny i i agree completely it's like i think of the things that inherently my mom was teaching me when I was younger that I then thought were so not cool. So like knitting and sewing and cooking and all of these things. And I used to be like, and I think a lot of young women 
at this time in life, you know, we kind of look at those things and say, well, no, I want to be a career woman. I'm not going to be some woman stuck at home. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, it was almost like we really wanted to claim this mm-hmm. this new era of femininity, mm-hmm. um, rightfully so. But at the same time, I found as I've gotten older, that exact thing, I'm like, I actually love to cook and I love cooking meals that I know exactly what's in it. And my husband mm-hmm. and I are eating food that I believe can like heal us and make us well and give us energy versus, you know, exactly ordering stuff that's coming wrapped in plastic that someone else threw together that doesn't actually taste that great and is just feeling a need or, you know, learning again. I still can't really do this, but trying to think of how to sew. I mean, oddly, my husband was in the army, so he knows how to sew. So we've got those two things, but it's like, it's almost, you're right, like kind of a throwback to just looking at how things used to be done and actually finding where they can be changed and where maybe they we had it right all along. Yeah, absolutely. I always say like I let's go back to how our grandparents and great grandparents lived because you know, there's a big notion that the sustainability being sustainable is expensive and actually no you're going you will save so much money um, shifting to sustainable practices and i don't really even like using that word sustainable because really it's just going back to how our grandparents used to live yeah. and it's just simple yeah and you know my my grandmother used to make all her cleaning products with vinegar and baking soda and yeah. that's all you really need yeah. and if you want it to smell good you add lavender olive oil you start seeing, oh, wow, yeah, that's right. That's how my my grandparents used to do it. So why can't I do that? Farmers do seasonal bulk shipping. Like they'll deliver, they'll come into the city and deliver to your door uh, just seasonal goods and um, seasonal produce. And it's incredible what you can find. Again, like if you just do a little research and, and if you're really, really busy and you have the money, then support your farmer at the farmer's market, you know? But if you are trying to save, there are options. And, and we are lucky. We live in city in cities that have so many options. You know, if really, if you step outside your comfort zone, I, I know I sound like a broken record, but you will find a solution. You will find an option. And through that experience, it's you just feel so good, you yeah. know, you, and you meet incredible people yeah. doing so. Like I, I, I'm besties with all the farmers in Union Square in New York. Like yeah. I, I love going to see my farmers, and they inspire you. You know, totally. I feel like that's how I feel. Like when I'm speaking to people that are are thinking outside the box or are approaching life in a different way, you do. You feel inspired, and you want to support that, and you want to look more at your own life and think, mm-hmm. Am I doing enough? Could I be doing more? Mm-hmm. You feel connected with yourself, which is what I think is is lacking nowadays. You, f- it's a spiritual experience for me. Uh, you know, like you were saying, going back to sewing, going back to knitting, going back to those things that our, you know, ancestors used to do. It's it's what life is all about. It's sharing those moments together, being connected with yourself, being connected with your family and community. And, you know, that's why I think, you know, book clubs are great, like knitting circles. I We, we definitely, you know, I, don't, I haven't bought anything new for my kids since my kid, you know, since my first was born probably a few months old, I just keep fixing all their clothes, you know, and and, uh, I'm lucky enough that uh, my housekeeper is an amazing sewer and she wants to make extra money. So I give her like a huge bag of clothes and 
she sews everything and it, it's great. Yeah. Like there was, there's no need to really for, for the children industry, which is one of the most wasteful because they grow out of everything so quickly. Yeah. There's really no need to buy new. I mean, that's kind of what I, that's my personal opinion. Um, of course, like there's incredible. I mean, I, I, I do have to say I love Etsy for that reason. It's like going back to um, I don't know if they have it here in the yeah, UK, yeah, yeah, Etsy.com. Yeah. But, you know, they, it's like all these mom and pop like businesses, craft people, and you're supporting them and you're in contact with them directly. So if you don't have the time to make something, there are incredible options like that, like Etsy. And, and, um, there's so many other ones, I mean, that I can mention, but you know, it's connecting to that farmer, that artisan, that, you know, craft maker. And it, 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 it's such a special time when you receive that item and you know that that somebody made that with their own hands and you know who that person is and you were communicating yeah. with that person. So. And you're giving money yes. into the hands of people that are trying to create sustainable, interesting business models mm-hmm. versus huge shareholders. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, you know, you're we talk about. Yeah, you're supporting individuals at home making things. Yeah. I mean, how, how can that not feel super good? Well, exact. <laughs> you're working on so many different projects and you have so many ambitions. And something I'm asking a lot of people that come on the Rev podcast is just simply, what does success look like for you? Success has come to look like a very certain thing in a lot of ways. It's been very much refined by what you own and your physical appearance and what you're able to kind of show off, as it mm-hmm. were. And, um, you know, what 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 would you say to that and what it looks like to you? Success, pure success for me is seeing my children's eyes and their faces when they are you know, super inspired and excited um, when it comes to environmental action and we're out there cleaning beaches and seeing, you know, volunteers being so excited to be there, um, you know, being part of a movement for the first time, like the one in Italy that we started this summer. Um, That to me, I mean, when I see their hearts full, it just makes my heart full. And I can't think of anything else that is more successful than that. Um, On a fashion level, I, what I love, and I, again, challenge myself all the time with this, is when I put an outfit together that I know was probably altogether 20 or $30 um, mixed in maybe with some of my mom's jewelry or boots from the 70s and getting tons of compliments and telling people, guess what? It was 20 to $30. Going to the royal wedding, just wearing vintage and supporting an old you know, hat milliner business in London, like Lock and Co. Um, to me, is success. You know, because people think, oh, I have to buy this outfit that's thousands of pounds in order to be accepted at the royal wedding or or get it all right. Because there's a long list of rules um, for what you have to wear and. I had rented an outfit in New York um, at Albright, this incredible rental uh, fashion company, and and then when I came here, I was 
I, I was vintage shopping because I love going to different, when I travel, I love going vintage shopping. I went to Circa Vintage and I found this amazing 1968 Valentino ensemble, mint green, and I fell in love. It was a little big on me and they said, no, we'll, we'll, we'll you know, fix it and customize it for you. And it was two days before the royal wedding. And I was like, oh gosh, how am I going to find a hat that matches this mint number? I mean, it doesn't have to match exactly, but how am I going to make it work? And one of my dearest friends, Lily Cole, took me around to different places to go hat shopping. She she was like, I have to go and pick up my kid from, from the babysitter. I have to go. Um, and then she called me on my cell phone. She's like, I just turned the corner, and I think the store's called Lock & Co. I'm pretty sure I, I just turned the corner. Your hat's on in the window. And I said, wait, what? Um, and I went, and the hat was the exact color of that 1968 Valentino ensemble. And... I went in th- I went in there the next day because they were closing <laughs> and at that point, it was the day before the royal wedding and I brought I picked up my outfit at the vintage store, went there, and I tried it on and the woman was like, "Wait, wait, just can you wait one second and she went to get the woman that created the hat upstairs because they have all of their hat uh, milliners upstairs and she came down and this older woman who was so sweet was like I have she started crying and she was I've never seen anything like this usually people give us the outfit so that we can match the color of the hat but I've never ever in my life working here seen the opposite where you actually found a hat that matches your outfit perfectly because it was a very distinct mint green color. I, I just had to I just had to buy it. And yes, I went a little bit overboard with buying that hat, but I knew that woman made it. Yeah. And it, it's it was I think the company's been around for hundreds of years. And I just it was just beautiful little brownstone in the center of London and I'm just like how can I not support this institution that's been around forever and I got to wear a vintage outfit to the royal wedding and then I and then I got so excited because the whole royal party was wearing green (laughs) and I was like wow I really you look like royalty that's that's a fashion success story to me well that is amazing and such a good promotion for for vintage shopping so Mm -hmm. I love that and um, something that I always end the podcast with on my side is just to ask who is inspiring you the most at this moment and why I would say, you know, uh, Dr. Sylvia Earle, um, she is one of my biggest inspirations in life. Um, she, she was an American marine biologist, explorer, author, lecturer. She's a National Geographic um, explorer in residence. And when I saw that documentary, Mission Blue, directed by Fisher Stevens, I just... Uh, completely fell in love with her. And then I actually got to meet her at the Explorers Club in New York City a few years ago. And, you know, this woman, she's in her 80s now, she still goes diving and really is an ocean guardian. If she can do it, then you really get so inspired and know that there is hope. 
Yeah. Um, she's created hope spots that you can uh, support all over the world because, as you know, there's so many places around um, international waters that are, you know, uh, dying, uh, like the Great Barrier Reef. Yeah. And um, there's so much going on with coral bleaching and the ocean is, is dying right now. So she's definitely in the f- forefront of that movement. And I, I, she's my, she's definitely my shero. So final, final question. We always ask one from the audience. And the one today is, how do you remain balanced and optimistic in life? I think uh, the only way I can is by doing. Um, so action and uh, starting initiatives with my friends and community um, is the number one place I go to to remain optimistic. Connecting with one another while uh, creating positive change is is the answer for me. And uh, once I turned that page in that corner, I decided that's that's what I'm dedicating my life to for as long as I can (laughs) and involve your children (laughs) well there we go all right optimism (laughs) kids balance it's all it's all part and parcel isn't it yes oh well thank you so much Giada that was just really amazing thank Thank you you. so much for having me Cora (laughs) anytime love to get you back (laughs) anytime Thank you so much for listening to the Rev podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and send us any comments you guys have. We'd really love to hear what you want to know more about when it comes to a sustainable lifestyle. Each week we'll be dropping a new episode, so don't forget to tune in on Tuesdays. Thank you again for listening to the Rev podcast.